0: Hello, everyone. Nice to see so many on the call. Well, Sam, I guess people are interested in the libraries. Who knew, right? (laughs) Our our guest today is Sam Helmick. And any readers of uh, members of the Iowa Writers Collaborative are well aware of this issue because several of our columnists have written about it. But the Iowa legislature never ceases to surprise me. And I'll tell you what, 20 years ago, if somebody had told me that the predominant members of the Republican party would be going after Walt Disney and books and libraries and schools, I I would have thought they were kidding. But in point of fact, that's where we are. So we have Sam Helmick on the call today, who is gonna tell us from her perspective, what's going on with the bill That was targeting libraries and uh, there is uh, some hopeful school of thought that that bill has been buried but of course anything can happen and it can be attached to a another bill so it's not really buried and we need to we need to be aware of what what exactly is happening in the Iowa legislature related to libraries so Sam, if you would just give us an overview of the bill itself and where it stands today, and then we'll ask lots of other questions, some related, some not.
1: Thank you so much, Julie, and thank you all for letting me be in community with you today. It is an honor to get to talk about something so close to my heart, but also so very relevant to every single Iowa and across the state. My name is Sam Helmick, and I am the Community and Access Services Coordinator for the Iowa City Public Library. And what does that really mean? Well, I have the privilege of resourcing and supporting three excellent teams at the Iowa City Public Library, the ones that provide outreach and bookmobile services, the ones that provide marketing and public relations services, and the ones that circulate the materials, the physical materials, from art prints to ukuleles to books and DVDs. I was the past president of the Iowa Library Association. In 2023, I served as your president. We had the second most library adverse bills in the nation. We matched um, with Missouri, who had the same amount, and we just trailed behind Texas because everything's larger in Texas. <laughs> and this was really difficult for me to reconcile outside of the fact that I've been sitting on the American Libraries Association's executive board for the last two years and have been seeing this pattern emerge in Florida and Texas, in Missouri, in Montana, and Wyoming, where essentially legislatures have lost their trust and understanding of the value of the libraries and the communities that they represent and serve. And so we see three years of library adverse legislation. The first year is sort of dismantling the trust and systems and public access that the communities have in their school libraries. So dismantling and, um, miscategorizing teachers, teacher librarians, curriculum developers, school superintendents, but also parent, teacher, and caregiver associations who have always had public access to their libraries, had fingerprints in the process of curriculum development, and always a seat at the table in case we needed to reconsider something. The second year is public libraries where essentially we Question their funding structures, we question their collections, and we question whether or not communities should have their fingerprints with the firewall of a library board, which would serve between the library staff and the city council in order to do really, really great things like capital improvement campaigns to get us a new book drop return instead of raising taxes for it. And being able to hyper-focus on First Amendment liability and fiscal stewardship and the necessary training that library boards have to accomplish in order for their libraries to be accredited through the state, which directly relates to the state and federal funding they receive. The third year will be academic libraries. Um, We will go after, we will see the curriculum and the instructors there and what is able to be um, taught to our students. Essentially, we are reconciling a question right now about whether we believe we should teach people to think and enable people to think and give them access to think or if we want to tell them what to think and how to think. So, um... Again, my name is Sam, and this has been my story for the last two and a half years. I've I'm no longer fun at parties. <laughs> We've had a lot of work to do, friends. Um, look- Last year, Senate File 496 essentially started as a list of books that would be banned in public schools across the state of Iowa. And we remember gently coming to the table and saying maybe we don't want to be a state that is nationally known for having a list of books that would be removed. How about we lean into our obscenity laws and lean into the codified um, parameters that are already in the books so that those who are not satisfied with the reconsideration processes that happen in communities like urbandale where parents helped select the materials and then parents helped to fight to keep those materials um, to- took shape Um, They could be heard, but maybe it wouldn't dismantle or have unintended consequences. We also reminded the legislature that there are at least eight libraries across the state that also are a public library. So you have a school library and a public library that share the same space in at least eight different instances across the state of Iowa. So the threshold of an academic institution versus a public institution is distinct and should be separate, and it wasn't reconciled how we were going to accomplish the work of Senate File 496. So, um, I remember sitting in the Capitol parking lot and kind of tearfully trying to figure out how we could be heard, um, and knowing that this bill was going to go into fruition. And I was with Michelle Cruz, our state library association's president, and I had the this really weird thought. I'm like, what if we wrote a letter of inquiry to the Department of Education and it felt fancy like I should have a monocle while I said it? And we, <laughs> we did that because I was a homeschooler. I came from a conservative family that didn't value my home library. One of my first academic papers in public college at the community college was why we didn't need a new library. Uh-huh. And when I fell in love with libraries in adulthood and I did a 180, I recognized that The power of libraries belongs in the hands of people, and it's making those conversations public so all of you have an opportunity to contribute to the discussion. So we wrote a letter after surveying all the teacher librarians across the state, because again, homeschooler couldn't rock a combination to save my soul, folks. I needed all the help I could get. And we identified about seven different places, not only those places where there was a public library, but also a school library. What would you do if you were serving K through 12 because the litmus was essentially at the sixth grade mark? What about the fact that 25 percent of our community college students are actually dual enrolled in a high school? These were questions that we asked for reconciliation. And um, Director aldi said thank you good work. We'll use this in our guidelines. And Director Aldees for the Department of Ed quit two weeks later. I don't think it was personal, but it happened. And Uh uh, Director Snow never acknowledged that we resent that letter. So the bill was passed. The governor signed it. We published the letter in the Des Moines Register, and a couple of our friends at Random Penguin House picked it up and brought some help. We didn't want this to result in a lawsuit, but the injunction that the judge provided in order for us to put books back on shelves until this can be reconciled, pretty much outlined every single question we had sought guidance for to in order to successfully move forward so that is still in the courts and we're sort of waiting the other big bill to understand from last year was house file 718 which was the tax bill the tax relief and levy bill essentially unless you were an airport all of the levies were eliminated overnight and so as you all know levies are a really beautiful way of representation and taxation you have to petition you have to get enough names you have to get it on the ballot you have to pass the ballot and i see my friend sandy allgood here from the burlington public library i bet you remember the history of doing that a couple of times in burlington to build that build that beautiful library that i fell in love with and so what we do is local local communities in iowa's we value our resources and we decide that they are not just opinions they're values which means that we will resource them with tax dollars house file 718 essentially sunset those overnight unless it was an airport levy museums, parks and rec, climate departments, human rights departments, and libraries that all had been funded by levies in addition to their baseline funding, were moved over into the general funds, which meant that the money was still going to be collected for the next four years on the goodwill and cachet and value of libraries, but that city governments no longer had to allocate them over, which pitted library boards and directors against their city councilors none of which of us in the 97 communities around the state about 15% of the public libraries in the state asked for Sam I got I got
0: to just I got to just interject and ask a question what have you learned about politics through this I suspect you didn't grow up thinking oh I'm going to get
1: involved in politics what have you learned about this process what I've learned about this process is that It does take attention and it does take time um and it does take us walking our values because i used to think that saying the words and sharing the social media post was enough but then i realized that opinions are elevated to values when we're willing to rock up on a committee hearing add our public comment on the legis website and speak truth to power whether that power is a library director or me (laughs) In some tiny instances, or a city council or representatives, which is why after serving as your president, I became government affairs chair this year, and I decided that I wasn't going to let a single thing that I was aware of slip by. So now it brings us to Senate Study Bill 3131, which essentially said that all of the mandated taxes in every single community that shall collect monies for their library would be changed to May and overnight, I had five library directors call me and say their small and rural libraries would close down because if, they, if their communities were given the option to not collect taxes, that they would not. That is known as a library killer. The bill also questioned the authority of library boards to hire their, their director after being politically appointed by the mayor or council to do so, and their stewardship of the, of the um, funds that were allocated to them through the city. So oh, no. much to
0: the surprise. Oh, excuse yeah, me. So
1: please go ahead.
0: Well, I was just saying, much to the surprise, I think, of a lot of people, all of a sudden, the the state capitol was filled with people
1: who were who were lobbying this bill. How did you How did you turn them out, Sam? Well, we are a free people who read freely. We are the founders of the Library Bill of Rights. Director Forrest Spaulding wrote them in 1938 after reconciling with the fact that he wasn't permitting German immigrants into our meeting rooms. He wouldn't permit mein Kampf on the shelf, and maybe we would have been darn sight more prepared for World War II if we'd understood that. And so he did some self-reflection, and he wrote the Library Bill of Rights, and it was adopted a year later by the American Library Association as the international standard of free people reading freely. You all take your libraries seriously in the state of Iowa, which is why I've decided to not only love them, but to dedicate my career to them here in the state of Iowa. Well, you definitely have earned the,
0: the title Emerging Leader in, in our view. They're good for you. Um,
1: tell me about you. Where are you from originally? Yeah. So I am born and raised in Burlington, Iowa. I got as far as West Burlington once, and I um, was fortunate enough to find the library in Burlington—that's newly minted, shiny, excellent library that they built despite my letter in undergrad. And um, it was—I uh, was volunteering. It was a summer reading program year, and it was to catch the reading bug. Did you all do you all do summer reading programs with your themes and stuff in your libraries? Show of hands. It's really cool. And they brought an insect zoo, Julie, and they had a tarantula in the insect zoo, which is upsetting for at least two reasons. Can I be pedantic for a minute? Please. (laughs) I don't do spiders at all. And technically, arachnids are not insects, so I've got them on the technicality. But this little person came up to me and said, Sam, if you hold the tarantula, I'll pet him. And so either I passed out, in the lobby of the Burlington Public Library and my life has now just been this interesting fever dream of advocacy and graduate school and serving in leadership positions for libraries or that was the moment that I recognized that there's nowhere else. There's no other community anchor institution where you can meet somebody who's of a different race, different gender, different age, and you both can accomplish something like confronting your, your, your fear of spiders together. Like libraries are the only space that do that. They're also the only space that gives you a nine dollar return on a one dollar investment they're the only space for miles where you can sit and be quiet or sit and sing and nobody's going to bother you or charge you to be there and so that's that's a little bit of my story i ended up doing work for the libraries transform campaign for the american library association um, to talk about the importance of libraries because i'd done a 180 and i recognized that I'm like half a society folks and if we're going to do this together we have to not see others as anti-library we have to see them as not understanding the value of libraries quite yet. What's the most them- frustrating
0: part of dealing with folks who are in favor of some of this legislation? What I assume you've had conversations with bill sponsors yeah. and tried to
1: communicate with them. What what do you what do you wish they would hear? I wish that they hadn't characterized the entire profession, because we're here to help each other, and if they used their libraries or met library workers, they would recognize that we don't get into this for the clout, we don't get into this for the pay, we get into this because it's almost a calling, Julie. These beautiful library buildings are almost like secular cathedrals, and I get to talk to people at their highest and their lowest. I will walk the floors of the Iowa City Public Library sometimes in the morning before we open and think about The jobs that will be found, the languages that will be picked up, housing, you know, just all kinds of beautiful things. Like we are incubators of opportunity and you all come in and breathe life into them. And so I wish that we could be met at the table together as the humble public servants that we are and to recognize that we're all trying to do the best we can. And and what I mean by that is like, let me let me give you an opportunity to like have an example. I'll have people ask me every October during Band Books Week, like, what's your favorite band book? And I'm like, beloved, I am not here to propagate a specific idea or a specific story or a specific program. I am here to honor and protect a process so that you can do that. I am here to defend your right to do that. And I wish that folks, when they come to the table with us, would recognize that that is our main goal.
0: Okay, so walk me through your transformation of yeah. from, from how you wrote that letter when you were in high school, hmm. objecting to the to the uh, public library funding. Well, and I know this, oh yeah. well, what changed you? Well did you how did you evolve?
1: Well, I want to like defend myself because, Sandy, at least you'll know Professor Oldfield at Southeastern Community College. They did give me an A. So I just want you to know I wasn't abled in this behavior. Um, <laughs> but I think my trajectory was I wanted to, I didn't actually, I was very shy. You won't believe that because I haven't stopped talking since we've met. But I could barely answer a phone when I started to work for our public library. I had homeschooled. I was raised to essentially be a missionary's wife. Um, very Christian, conservative, um, very close to home. If there were books in the, in the family house, they were redacted with black ink. Some of my earliest memories are holding up paperbacks to the sun to see what had been redacted. And... All I wanted was to live a quiet life. So I was going to be a law student. I was going to be a paralegal. I was going to sit with dusty books and not talk to anybody. But I had to, through Iowa Wesleyan University, do something called RSI, Responsible Social Involvement, which meant you volunteered in your community to meet the, the graduate requirements to graduate. And here was this beautiful new library. And they accepted the fact that I struggled to talk and make eye contact or feel like I'd picked up on social cues. Every single interaction actually only had like three or four specific outcomes that meant I was going to help somebody or refer somebody or we were going to learn together as thought partners. And just the rhythms and the patterns of that gave me new purpose and comfort. Um, and so by the time you get me to the end of a summer reading program and I'm holding a tarantula, I'm <laughs> like, I'm a different person. This This has changed me. And I want to do this for other people. I want them to know that this is their place too. And I don't know what their life's going to look like. They may not all be library fanatics that tour libraries on vacations and and talk about it all the time, but something's going to happen for them if we hold space and support and encouragement. So it really just sort of fit all of my values, but I didn't even know I had those values until somebody opened up the door and let me in. How do your folks feel about what you're doing now? Right. So I think that it was a little bit of a a trajectory for them too, right? Because I didn't even come out as non-binary until I came to the Iowa City Public Library. I was not super active outside of the Emerging Leader Program for ALA and the Libraries Transform campaign. But since moving to Iowa City, I've been the Iowa president and I have sat on the National Executive Board um, for the American Library Association, which means we deal with everything from internet national relations to bomb threats that are happening in libraries across the United States to the accreditation process for every single graduate school in the land. And so I think for them, it's just been watching me change and getting a little bit excited that I've finally found my space. Um, Both of them, in fact, are rocking um, Sam for Libraries t-shirts as I run for ALA president over the next couple of weeks. If nothing else, I think that that will probably be the highlight of my campaign, regardless of the outcome, because they both went back to school. They both are avid library users. And I think it's because the door hadn't been opened for them either.
0: Wow. Wow. I love your story. I just love it. So you you are out as non-binary. And Mm -hmm. because of that openness, you and others are a target for massive hate. I realize you live in Iowa city, which is considered the bastion of blue. Uh, But have you personally experienced any of that hate directed toward you?
1: So I'm about to throw you for a loop, Julie. I'm also a registered Republican. (laughs) I knew it, I knew it. And everybody just leaves, they flee the Zoom. They're like, out of here. You know why? because i believe in a plurality of ideas i served for the governor as a replica like a representative for the republican party which has to be split for the iowa governor's commission of libraries right i'm a huge fan of local control you know so what i've learned about libraries and what i think they can teach our communities is that none of us really fit a mold like a specific yeah. mold my friends in the queer community have preferred pronouns but if if my pronoun is not used. I do not wish to compel your speech. But that is Sam. That's not ILA. That's not librarianship. That's not, you know what I mean? And so what I love about libraries and what I love about this journey is that we're, folks, our fingerprints and our tongue prints are unique. You are unique down to the tongue print. There will never be another you again. And so to kind of categorize stories, or categorize people, or categorize political groups fails to see us at our most human level, and I think libraries kind of challenge us to do that. To get back to your question, though, I think what it's enabled me to do is to have talking points that are speaking to the base. They are not pleased that I keep using the hashtag keep libraries local. And there have been arguments that I am mischaracterizing bills. And I would recommend that maybe I'm just out-republicing them. Because you know what's more local than a city council? The Boy. voter. The voter, yeah. Well, okay. Yeah. yeah. And if the voter wanted their levies, and if the voter wants their boards, then the voter has spoken. And And frankly, we are recognizing with the dismantling of some of these Senate bills and House bills, that they're recognizing that these talking points are speaking to their base. I've had some folks in Northwest Iowa offer money to me for any campaign I might like to run in and boy, I'm enough trouble in libraries (laughs) or even to ILA instead of the folks in their own area that they've been backing politically, because they're recognizing that there's an overreach here and that it's not speaking to the values of the base. And so I, I think that in a weird way, the universe gave me the history, the struggle, the isolation of never quite fitting in in either group to recognize that Maybe there are no binaries. Maybe there's a spectrum, not just by gender, but by thought and by speech. Mm-hmm. You know, so I get kind of jazzed about that, that concept.
0: Well, okay. But on the other hand, if a political party is in power, and that yes. power is, is pushing an agenda, which obviously is happening nationwide. Right. Do you see yourself trying to work within that? party to change the narrative?
1: So what I see is I speak to their base. Um, House uh, Senate study bill 3131 and Senate study bill 3168. If you read between the lines, you recognize that this is to control books on shelves. Sure. I'm not saying that as ILA, I'm not saying that as ILA government affairs chair, I'm saying that as Sam Helmick, private citizen like thousands of others are. But when I'm talking about this and I'm trying to move the conversation forward, I refuse to let intellectual freedom even be part of the conversation. They keep trying to bring it back because then we're fighting a culture war instead of the class war of defunding libraries, right? Well, isn't and that why they're there,
0: doing this, Sam? Yes. Isn't, that, isn't that precisely why these ridiculous pieces of legislation are coming out of think tanks and sweeping the land that it's so much easier to get get angry about books on library shelves, which is absolutely ridiculous when you think of what is in the pocket of any kid's phone on their cell phones, right? Right. Um, But it is a political organizing tool,
1: right? So, So to honor your question, yeah, I believe that by using their talking points, speaking to their base, and connecting with people in a way that actually is meaningful to them, not just meaningful to me, has efficacy and power because we did have um chair uh, chairwoman latham and representative nordum pause their bill and they said that they would speak with us and sit down with some ila leaders next week um we're waiting to have that meeting scheduled and honestly if it's not that becomes an ila talking point because we extended the hand of partnership and believe that we can do this good work together but I feel like that's what this has enabled me to do. It's enabled me to look at the argument from their side and to argue it on their own merits, which gave us a seat at the table, which we wouldn't typically have with the supermajority, but then it's also to remind our base that you're right. This is about the dismantling of publicly funded institutions and whether the folks who are pushing the bills in Iowa recognize that, or if it's a larger orchestrated, you know, mission, It is happening, there is a pattern, it is distinguishable and we must fight it. Okay, I'm gonna open this up to folks
0: on the call. We've had some good comments in the chat. Those of you who are ready to ask a question or make a comment, we have a wonderful resource on this call today to talk about libraries and pretty much anything else might be on your mind. Steve, why don't you uh, go off mute and Mention what you were going to say and what you did say in your comments.
2: Okay. Um, I taught teachers to teach at Simpson College, both undergraduates and graduates, career changers, for from 1995 to, you know, I, I forget when I quit, but a few years ago. And they were primarily, well, they were exclusively secondary people going into an academic area. Mm-hmm. I would struggle, like hell, trying to do that in good conscience because the legislature is not only passing certain anti-censorship things, but they're also curtailing what teachers of teachers can say and do about history. Uh, how can I do that in good conscience in this climate? How could I teach?
1: That's a great question. Um, and I think that it's one that we all have to face again at that individual level, right? Because um, Let's face it, like, there are books that I circulate that hurt me. In fact, um, they did a story on me through the Cedar Rapids Gazette last year, and the headline was, Librarian Defends Books That Hurts Their Feelings, right? And I've been thinking about that, and how so often I am called to serve a structure, even when that structure no longer serves me. And so, S- Steve, I want to honor the fact that, like, I c- I don't think anybody else can make that answer for you. I think that's your journey to live, but that I empathize with you in that... I don't know. This is what I do know, though. Right now, I've been reading a lot about the Freedom Riders, and I've been thinking about the oppression and harm that they faced and how they kept going, and that we can do this. It gives me hope, and it makes me wonder if those of us right now caught in the crucible will be will be the historical champions 50 years from now, right? Um, I have privilege because I don't have a spouse and I don't have children. But there is a part of me that as long as somebody else with breath is going to stand beside me and do this good work, then I'm committed to doing it because... I would prefer they take libraries from my hands, and I would prefer that they take public education from my hands, and I would prefer that they take the structures by which we teach children to think, not how to think, from my hands than to to hand it off. And I don't mean to suggest or imply that that's what you're doing, but I think that that is that moment where rubber hits road and we have to decide it for ourselves. And it has a lot of different variables. Again, if I had a spouse, if I were in a different community, the answers would be different because the environment would be different. You know what I mean? I'm sorry that probably doesn't honor your question. That's
2: one half of my question. Yeah. There's a question about me, but the bigger question is, can I recommend the profession in the state of Iowa? And at this point, I cannot.
1: Right. And so, yeah, so this is a silly story, but I love stories. I had a long day on the bookmobile and I had another long afternoon coming up. And so I went to a restaurant downtown and I'm like, I'm just going to not talk to anybody for 45 (laughs) minutes. And this young gentleman was the only other guy in there. And we ended up talking about how this was his last semester. He had just broken up with his girlfriend. And what was your day like? And I just had a long legislative day. And the way I spoke about libraries, warts and all, compelled him. And I didn't know it until I saw the form uh, Saturday while I was working, compelled him to come volunteer with us. I think that we have to trust our young people to make those decisions for themselves. I think we tell them our ideals. I think we tell them what it can be. We tell them what their role can be and their efficacy and their power. And then we have to let them decide. Um, And here's, here's, here's what I would leverage, too, at that personal level. We wouldn't be on their radar if we didn't have power. If we didn't have efficacy in the world, if you as a teacher, just you're 9 to 5, I'm certain you excel at things too. I'm certain you've won awards. I'm certain that you've been recognized. But even if you hadn't, even if you had just rocked it 9 to 5, that by itself is so influential and powerful in the world that it is under scrutiny and it is under opposition. And I think it's helpful for us who have been fighting for so long to remember that and that it's okay. You're not guilty for asking other people to join a structure that you have value and hope and faith in, just because the structure is under incredible opposition. Hey Sam, how old are you? I'm 37. 37.
0: Okay, very interesting. I'm going to call on Bob Riley now. Bob, you have an you have a good comment. You need to unmute and have at it.
3: Well, I, my comment had to do with how can you get it local. Uh, as you're talking about, Sam, but also um, insulated from the uh, radical uh, people. Again, you know, the Tea Party uh, and part of ALEC, uh, that part of ALEC is the uh, organization that has put these types of things on the ballots across the country. And um, under the guise of, oh, well, let's let the people decide. And when you, um, when you do that, you allow people who are detractors, who don't like things that are different uh, and fear them, and, uh, you know, who are isolated in their own bubble, uh, yeah. it allows them to run for office and be elected as a detractor, I will tear down this library. Uh, so, I'm not sure how yeah. to yeah. deal with that kind of democracy.
1: Oh, Bob, this is the question. And if I haven't made myself unpopular yet with my, you know, like my backs and forths and my inconsistencies. <laughs> when I was intellectual freedom chair for the Iowa Library Association, that was about the time that books had been borrowed from the Orange City Library and then burnt on Facebook. And when I went to help them, I actually had not done a lot of intellectual freedom work. This was an incredible deep dive for me. And so I was out of town, but I sent a hy gift card. And I said, please buy donuts, library board. Carbs can help until I come. And we'll learn together. And here's what we learned, Bob. It is a... What's the right word I'm looking for, friends? Um, It's a concession to label queer books as queer. It is a concession to put them in their own special part of the bus. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean the library book stacks. Okay? But I also understand the importance of those books existing in the library, and I understand the importance of libraries remaining open. So what it taught me was that, while in my own neck of the woods in Burlington at that time and now in Iowa City, I would have fought to not have labels put on those books, and I would have fought for those books to have been interfiled with every other book in the collection. By keeping the library open and those books on the shelves at all, there was some success made. And the world is peopled, and the world is messy because the world is peopled. And so what I, would, what I would invite us to be curious about is this. When you look at all the stories from a national level, and I've been surveying that for two and a half years on the national board for the American Library Association, you're right. This is an open gateway for other people in a pluralistic society that are antithetical to us to step into power. But I would say that a vast majority of the time, what that does is it incites the rest of us to step into our power too and to shut it down. That library is still open. That community has the best darn Pride Parade every single year and has ever since. It's incredible. I go across the state for it. It's it's and it's and fantastic. It's built a community there, and it's helped uh, young queer children and myself, like teens and folks like myself, young adults, to be seen. And what I've also noticed when I've gone to school challenges in the state of Iowa or I've watched challenges on board report like board meetings from, from New York to California, that this brings communities out. I think the referendum in Palatata said something. That was a split conversation in the community. That vote was a very narrow margin. And while it may make some of my library friends clutch their pearls and be mad at me, we either have processes that are pluralistic or we have performances. And we have to decide as a society whether we're willing to lean into the difficulty and the challenges and the mess and to fight for what we believe in and to speak for what we believe in and deal with that discomfort and understand that everybody has a seat to the table. Or we have to acknowledge the fact that we don't want all people at the table because they do alarm us and they do try to dismantle us and we do not find ourselves prepared to fight back. And so I I, I hope that that honors your question, but I, I am seeing more often than not that by, by being consistent with inviting everybody to the table, the folks who are pro-free people reading freely are out there in greater droves. Uh-huh.
3: Well, uh, Karl Popper, a uh, 20th century philosopher, talked about uh, progressives can only allow so much progressiveness until the anarchists will destroy progressives. Mm-hmm. And um, I am concerned that um, being so open so that we are welcoming to the anarchists and welcoming to the people that will burn the library down um, allows that to, uh, if you will, happen if we're either asleep at the switch or if we're, uh, if, you know, we're somehow distracted. And the way they sneak these bills into the Iowa legislature, you know, that's their plan is try to don't don't let anybody know what you're doing. So I'm I guess I'm you know, I'm I'm part of the ICLU and ACLU and the free speech. And and you're allowed to do everything except set fire to the theater. You can yell fire even, but you can't set fire. And we have people that are burning libraries. We have to stop that in some way, as opposed to just hope that we outnumber them.
1: I think, though, that if we don't invite them to the process, we give credence to their complaint. I think that they think libraries are progressive bastions that do not hold space for them, and that I don't want to further any of that narrative, personally, right? I hear. I think I, I want to hear what you're saying, and I, I think there's incredible merit to it, and that it is a razor's edge at best for us. But... Again, um, we have books on detransitioning in this library. We have books on um, transitioning in this library. And I guess if we're progressing at a rate that is actually acceptable as a society... All of us should be reprehensible monsters at some point, too. We have BPA in our plastics. We eat meat. We outsource um, slavery with our our, our our technology, right? It's happening in third world countries instead of here now. I'm like, I think we have to reconcile with the fact that we haven't fully arrived either. You know, and I, I know that that's a very challenging, broader concept than what we wanted to probably discuss today. But I'm not prepared to be the steward of... That community conversation i'm prepared to be the facilitator of it and to trust the rest of you to build it around us knowing that we're always progressing and always moving forward and always having our own history to reconcile with even in real time
0: okay thanks great conversation mary you're up next are
4: you there hello yes Hi. yes Sam, nice to meet you i listen to you on the radio on kcjj oh so, um, it's, it's fun that I finally see who you are. So I agree with you about trying to find common ground, mm-hmm. but that's very difficult when you have a governor and many legislators who won't even talk to you, respond oh. to an email, come to a legislative forum. In Johnson County, we have some Republican legislators and the League of Women Voters put on a very <clears throat> nonpartisan event every month Um, I don't always get there, but the Republican folks never show. Bobby Kaufman, when he was representing part of Johnson County, never showed up. These two women from Iowa and Washington County, they never show up. And I heard one of them at a Farm Bureau dinner, which I attended, which was a stretch for me, but I was invited and I went. And she said, when she was running, she said, oh, I just cannot wait to represent Johnson County we've not seen hide or hair ever. So I agree with you to find common ground and to meet people
1: halfway. Um, but it's not reciprocated. So so here's my question, because you're right, it's not. So then what's our next chess move? So this is going to sound condescending, but I wasn't talking to Carter in those rooms. I wasn't talking to Jesse. I was talking to their voter base. They Their voter base w- was paying attention. And and so there's a part of me that's like, well, if folks in power do not feel inclined to deign or condescend to talk to folks who are speaking to power, maybe they're busy. I'm a busy guy. You know what I mean? Then I'm going to talk to my neighbor. I'm going to talk to folks who make me feel welcome in this space and are giving me challenging questions and insight and informing me. Because I feel like even in this conversation, right, we're being vulnerable with each other. We're asking questions because none of us have the recipe yet. And I think it has to start there in part because they don't have to listen to us, but they do have to listen to their voter base a little bit. I think that's the only wiggle room we've got.
0: (laughs) Okay, Ralph Rosenberg, you have a comment and a question. You'll need to come off your um, mute button. Ralph? Oh, yep
2: maybe I'm, he- I'm sorry i'm outside so and i got dogs barking around me yeah my question is simple uh, when will you announce your run for governor or u.s senate because i've been convinced your presentation should be a model for other candidates and then i became further convinced you might you should run too so um Thank you for your work. And I really hope you seek higher office and you mentor other people to develop your thought process. Thanks.
1: Ralph, you're gonna make me tear up. Can I be selfish in this moment? Um, The first one is I get to affect so much change as a library worker and it feeds my soul. I can hardly imagine giving that up for anything else. But then the other is that can I just mirror that back because anything I've been able to accomplish as a library worker, but also as an advocate is because of all of you. You all are always in the car with me when I'm riding up to Des Moines. Um, And I know it sounds crowded in there, but the Kia Sorento at least fits six.
0: Well, but Ralph does make a good point. Yes, you're you're doing mighty work there, but have you thought about
1: higher office? You know, I hadn't until this last year. I think that as a leader, I've recognized that you do it in community and that it requires a lot of trust and collaboration. And so if I were to ask people to vote for me like I am at the American Library Association level, I'm really being honest about the fact that your vote also means your partnership, because we all have to do this good work to change the national narrative back to libraries are wonderful. They give us a $9 return on a $1 investment, and they are community anchor institutions that we cannot afford to lose.
0: Okay, you're not only do you have the, the uh, mastered the art of filibuster, but you've at mastered the art of pivoting. You you rock there, Sam. <laughs> okay, who <Drawn> else? Me. <laughs> <laughs> Nikki Schissel, you have a hand up. Love to hear from you, Nikki.
5: Hi, how are you? It's uh, lovely to meet you, Sam. Um, I, I'm somewhat confused too, though, about uh. Uh, Being a Republican, and I am not anymore, uh, I thought Republicans believed in local control. And I can see nothing that is more valuable in local control than our our community libraries. So uh, (laughs) I I find that that's a paradox uh, uh, that uh, I'm having trouble understanding. Uh, I appreciate the way you are able to articulate your positions and I have to agree with Ralph. I think it's uh, a time you uh, got the petition out to run for office. So uh, but I do I am confused as to how you reconcile the Republican right. precepts with with what you're doing.
1: So we're talking politics. We'll probably get science in here soon. Let's let's go with religion next, though. So obviously, I was raised in a a household of Christians and I was taught that you call in your own. You don't call out, you call in. And that you hold your own community to a higher standard because it's your system of belief and faith. So folks who are outside of the community, I'm like, you love them. It's none of your business how they live their life. But inside your own community, you might hold each other to a different standard because you represent each other in a greater common like a greater commentary and so i've sort of taken that belief system into politics where i have no notes for the democrats i just don't because i don't identify as one i do have notes for a party that tells me that they value local control and so i feel like it's almost my responsibility as one who identifies as a conservative to flash a light on that and say folks we're not walking our own values just like i would with a christian who might you know break a commandment i would say beloved we're not following what we all agreed we believe in is this still a community agreement and if it's not then that's your choice but maybe we need to maybe we need better better pr because your pr currently says you value this okay. i don't know if that answers your question but yeah yeah
5: nikki do you have a follow-up or should we go to bryce um, no, that that's fine. And, and I understand it. And I, I understand that talking to the people in your own community. But um, I I also have to feel that there aren't a lot of people in the Iowa legislature that are listening. Uh, I think there's been several local issues that may come back to bite them. Uh, I can only hope. Okay,
0: Bryce. Thanks, Nikki. Uh,
2: Sam, my, my question to you, and you've alluded to it a little bit, but perhaps you could flesh out what the national uh, environment is, uh, because we know that it goes from state to state and it's in a lot of places, but who are the champions uh, nationally and where specifically is that, is this battle be on libraries being fought at that level? Could you give us a, a, yes. a brief picture of what that looks like?
1: The American Library Association is the second oldest professional association in the United States, and it is the largest professional association for librarians across the world. And we have an office for legislation, we have an office for public policy, we have an office for intellectual freedom. When you see those banned book lists and you see the top 10, it's because these are the staff members and the member leaders who are curating this information and creating a toolbook to counter that Moms for Liberty energy that does not respect individual autonomy at the person family, library board, city council, county, state levels. So I would invite you all to check out United Against Book Bans. It is an ALA initiative that not only describes the water of of intellectual freedom challenges and censorship, but also helps you build rafts by showing you letters to the editor, ways to get on school boards, and ways to ensure that we continue to be a free people who read freely. Can I add one more? Let me ask a follow-up question.
2: Where is the academic... Community. I, I mean, uh, there's a there's a lot of money out there. There's a lot of concern. There should be, as you right. alluded to, at the university and uh, college level, and uh, uh, so forth. So, where are those folks in this? Uh, mm-hmm. Who's standing? Who's
1: standing next to the American Library Association and carrying this uh, this flag? So, like, while well, we're fifty thousand members strong, we are the umbrella we being ALA, of all the other library associations. So you have folks like the Association of School Libraries at the national and state level that are coming out. You have the academic... Um, and Research Library Association or ACRL that are coming out. Um, You have like the Small and Ruler Library Association, but as your president for ILA, I realized that we can't fix this inside the house. So we started to make friends with media partners like uh, Iowa Starting Line, Black Iowa News. We started to talk to folks like Progress Iowa and Common Good Iowa. Um, Obviously we've had a relationship with the uh, ACLU of Iowa. We reached out and talked to the State Education Association. I'm reminding my good friends at AFSME. That these aren't only intellectual freedom bills, but they're also worker rights bills. And so I think it's building those coalitions outside of the actual library that's going to move us forward. And if I become an ALA president, that will be the skill set that I take to the national oh, wow. conversation. Great,
6: thank you.
0: Okay, Barry, you'll need to unmute.
6: Yeah, thank you. Uh, I find this very, very interesting. Uh, one of the things that I haven't heard discussed, though, is that. Um, and I guess this gets to the words we use um, the people who are pushing the book bands uh, frequently are described as parents, you know, mm-hmm. like there's all these people around in communities who are, uh, you know, who get a fever about what their children may read in the library and, and start pushing these bands. The fact of the matter is these, these bands are pushed by uh, as Julie said earlier, think tanks that who farm them out to, to political organizations uh, it's, it's fueled by ideologues and I think we need to recognize that and I also think we need to recognize that they are they, they are pushing that agenda for a political reason. Uh, there, there are attacks on learning and attacks on thinking differently. Uh, it's all a, met- a, a way to control people and the less you know as it relates to libraries, the less you know about things or the less you know about the world, The easier you are to control, the easier you are uh, to convince about a lot of other stuff that doesn't make sense. Uh, I would just like you to respond to that thought.
1: Oh, I'm glad you gave me the opportunity because you're right. There are larger structures at play. I was thinking about like, I don't want to name names because I don't want to be sued. But I think the New York Times had a really good article that talked about Patriot Mobile and how it's internationally funded. And then it becomes like these specific state alliances. And they do. They have a playbook. Book. They have a list of books, they have a template for letters to the editor, and a template for um, reconsideration forms, and um, they are sweeping through and trying to, um, I think, honestly dismantle public services. I, I don't think it's ironic that we're seeing vouchers and a dismantling of AEA at the same time that we're seeing questions about whether or not public libraries serve a public good. First you vilify the character of the institution and then it's easier to dehumanize it and defund it. And if you, can I brag too? I mean, I'm I'm a millennial, but these Gen Zers that came after me, they are the most reading, most library visiting generation we've ever had. Y'all have raised a group of readers in an information age. And if we only exclusively privatize access to that information and content, there's a lot of money to be had.
0: Hmm. Interesting. You know, you mentioned all of the all of the policies that have been brought forth by the Republican Party in Iowa, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm still struggling with how do you how do you personally take your belief in the Republican Party of say our grandfather's day, yeah. uh, which is long gone and yeah. um, and make a difference in the current structure. How do you, how do, you do that?
1: So here's a little story that I've extrapolated. When I moved to Iowa City, it was to help open the building. We are the medical hub of the state, and this building had almost been closed for a year. I was fortunate to help open the Burlington Public Library, hug my family and friends and colleagues goodbye, and try to help here. And the first thing I did was I put up two huge walls of whiteboards. You can see a couple in my office, too, and we call them the Wall of Winds. And what it means is that we celebrate the small things that are going well for us and the big things that are going well for us, both personally and professionally. And I call this, Julie, joyful offense. I don't want to play defense against these bills. I want to play joyful offense. I want to hear about your tarantula stories and how you found the job after you were laid off from Maytag and you never even had an email address, but your library helped you not only file for unemployment, but apply for the jobs. And maybe even circulated ties for the interview because we do that too. I think by flooding our media and our conversations with joyful offense, it inspires people to contribute to it. The Republicans have filed uh, House File 2442 um, to try to help us restore those library levies. It's not where it needs to be, but it's a good start. And then Representative Taylor has filed the eBooks bill to help us all as consumers to have a seat at the table on how much we're paying for the eBooks you circulate. We are one of seven states to do this, and we have moved further along than most states have ahead of us. So I think it's by giving them joyful things to do and inviting them to the opportunity. Will they take us up on it? One can hope, and in some instances they do, but if they don't, then it was because they publicly slapped away the hand. Not be, like, this is what I do in my presentations, and I, it's silly, and I know folks will not be able to see this in your podcast, but, like, if you hold up your power fist, do you all mind indulging me for a minute, just holding up your fist? Do you feel powerful? Open that palm now. How much more can you do with that? Still powerful, right? I'm not going to let that part of me change. And I I have faith that you won't either. So Sam, you mentioned something about public speaking. People listening to this
0: may be wondering how they can book you to come to speak in their community. Are you open to that?
1: Yeah, can I, can I push? Can I do a shameless plug? You can find me on the ICPL Bookmobile Tuesday mornings, nine to noon around <laughs> Iowa City. But if you want to be in community together to teach me, to inform me, to guide me, and to allow me to be your librarian, I'm at samhelmick.library at gmail.com or oh samforlibraries.com. I guess I am running for something. I better men- I better plug the website. <laughs> samforlibraries.com.
0: Okay, we have time for one more question. Kurt, would you like to take the honors? Or Carl, I'm sorry, Carl. Apologize, you'll need to unmute. Yes. There you go.
6: Yeah, I just think of the John Milton concept of a cloistered virtue. where It seems like a lot of Christian groups have no faith in Christianity, that if they're exposed to certain books or certain uh thoughts that they'll lose their religion and uh it it just seems that a religion based on faith has really little faith it's uh, i find that striking
1: so carl when i learned the alphabet it was by, by, um, verses. So like A was all have sinned and come short Roman. And then B was believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. C was children, obey your parents. So that's how I learned the alphabet. That was my tutelage as a kid. And so I agree with you that that is striking as odd because a no books have made me right-handed. No books have made me, uh, within the gender binary, no books have made me straight, but also it kind of, of counters the belief, if you were a Christian at least, of Proverbs 22.6. 6. And I, I only quote it specifically because, again, I did a lot of that as a child. That's how I learned the alphabet. And it's train your children in the way they should go, and they will never depart from it, even in old age. So I have faith that my parents brought me up in the way that I wish to go. And in many ways, I have not variated from it. And that is a part of my faith system. And again, I would gently encourage my own kind to reconcile and, and reflect on Proverbs 22.6, not to make this a sermon, friends, because if you believe that you teach your children the way they should go, there's nothing on a bookshelf and there's nothing in a classroom that's going to depart me from that. As you can tell, I'm a kind of an interesting little fellow that doesn't fit a mold, and it's because I was in many ways raised to be that way and to be able to thrive and exist and navigate a world that can't accommodate that.
0: And on that note, thank you so much, Sam. This has been fascinating. I really appreciate your time today. I think we've all thoroughly enjoyed the discussion. I certainly have. At this point, um, when we do this uh, periodically at the end of conversations like this, i put people into breakout rooms who are able to do, do so. I'll put together four, uh, four breakout rooms now and... If you're open and willing to jump in a breakout room, please
1: do. Thank you again. Thank you all. It It was a gift. Thank you all for the gift of your day.